First Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. Uh, we looked at the first few verses of this last week, but today we're really going to be focusing on verse 7. But for the sake of context, I want to just read this whole little section right here, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to work. All right, here we go. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he will exalt you. Verse 7, the most important one. Pay attention here. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you to just do what only you alone could do. Instruct, inform, transform, reshape who we are. God, I pray that we would adopt and step into new liturgies, new cadences that cause our hearts to be shaped like you, Jesus. You alone are king, Lord. You alone are good. And so we just invite you to do all that you intend. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Why don't you all grab a seat? Uh, I want to start with a real quick little statement I have written down up here, and I'll just kind of make mention of it, and you can follow along and read it as you would. Uh, it starts with a question. Uh, what do you, emphasis on you, what do you do with anxiety? All of us have it. We, we know this. We know based upon stats, and if you guys need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some ushers that would get your Bible. Don't stress out. Stress out. Pun. Bad pun. Um, we all have anxiety. We all face it. They're all various areas in our lives that we find ourselves dealing with this. But the question is, you know, what are we doing with it? Maybe another question to kind of process and think about, what is it really doing to us? I think it's kind of a better way, more informative. Like, what actually is anxiety and our stress that we often face? What's it doing to us? What types of ways is it destroying or uh, crushing us on even further ways? Uh, one of the things I really want for us to think about in the context of what we just read, Peter seems to indicate that there's a link between the anxieties that we face and the degree to which we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That seems to just be what Peter's, uh, in essence, stating here. Now, I want to be really clear here. Just because I'm making this statement based upon what I'm sensing Peter describing does not mean uh, or displace any other need for any type you know, of therapy or medication or any other types of things like that, which we will talk about. So I want to be really clear here. This is not just, you know, you're going through tough stuff, life's hard, just trust God, everything will be fine. That's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, unfortunately, some of us have been involved in churches. I, for one, have been in church context before where that has been sort of the, 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 the context or the way that it oftentimes gets uh, brought, up, brought about. And so therefore, people that genuinely do struggle with some types of disorders like this, um, they don't get the help that they need because someone who oftentimes is well-intentioned just tosses a Bible verse at them, tells them to get better, and it does not help them to get better. In fact, it compounds their uh, pain, their trauma, their hardship, and whatnot. So that being said, I want for us to just think about this, because I think what Peter is suggesting is that there is a connection, there's a link between the degree of how we find ourselves impacted by our anxieties and how we process these things, um, and the degree to which we are um, casting all of our anxieties and our cares upon God, which also plays into uh, whether or not we are really truly humbling ourselves before God. Now, again, I want to give a real quick context of what Peter's saying because I think it's helpful. Uh, Peter's writing to a community of Christians that have gone through incredible traumatic circumstances and hardships. That's exactly what he's writing to. Um, this was during a season, uh, their emperor, uh, the political um, 
you know, landscape around them was really dire, really bad. Uh, it was being led by a guy named Caesar Nero. If you know anything uh, about the history of Caesar Nero, you know he's a really bad dude. And he brought a lot of tremendous pressures upon Christians and minority groups. And these Christians to whom Peter's writing are, are no exception to this. And so they're trying to remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of a very hostile political atmosphere. And it wasn't just politics that they were facing. It was also public opinion. They found themselves not in very popular status with people uh, with prevailing opinions around them. And so it created a lot of anxiety and stress that you can imagine. Um, the temptation for them was to take matters into their own hands, which is like our temptation all the time too, right? When things are really hard, when things are not going our way, or there's unpredictability, we oftentimes try to shoehorn predictable path, patterns and pathways into our lives that oftentimes they, they don't end up working, and so that just kind of compounds even more stress. Or we find ourselves, in, especially in a hostile situation, where we're like, we're going to force our way into culture and society. We're going to make things Christian. Uh, those might have even been temptations that they were facing as well. And as a result of that, that just kind of compounds the problem even further. And so what Peter is suggesting to them is, guys, guys and gals, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. God is good. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's faced challenges and hardships just like you. He suffered just like you. He will prevail. Just what happened to Jesus. He Lived, he suffered, died, and rose again. You too will live, suffer, die, potentially at some point in the future, near, distant. At some point, you will also rise again. Your life is so intricately bound up in the life of Jesus that you share in the fate of Jesus. That right there, like if we were the amen, like, proclaiming church like amen like that would have been a perfect moment to just like drop an amen and like hallelujah or yeah whatever you get the idea but the point that i would make is that what what peter's describing is that what often has ended up happening is that in those dire circumstances we take matters into our hands rather than casting our cares upon god and trust god to take care of circumstances we try to hit harder and we just like i said compound the challenges that we have for us so Peter is suggesting to the followers there, humble yourselves, all of you. Recognize who you are. What, recognize your place in the world and recognize God's place in the cosmos. God sees the injustices. God sees the pain. God sees the hardships. God sees all your cries and hears all of your sorrows and your groans and all your pain. God sees it all. God hears it all. God knows it all. And God one day will intervene. And make it all right. That's the hope. That's the promise. And so our job in the present, in the midst of the challenges and hardships, is to humble ourselves and then to cast our anxieties upon God. So that's a little bit of the context. I want to jump into this and begin to take a look at kind of the bigger, broader picture. So I want to just ask the question, like, what exactly is anxiety? Just so that we can all be on the same page when we're talking about this. And um, I'm going to start just kind of a bigger, broader uh, picture of this. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. So again, I'm just giving you like Wikipedia versions and stats and whatnot that whatnot that I've kind of come across. So if I'm missing some things, that's because I'm not a professional in areas. I'm just trying to you know do my best, like most of us as well, just trying to make sense of some of the information that's available out there on the internet. We all know, just so that you know as well, the internet is not always truthful. Like some of you are like, really? Yes, it's not always truthful. But the point is, is that um, I want to just give some ideas of how some of the uh, websites on 
the subject matter, kind of give us some details as to what this is. So number one, what is anxiety? A few bullet points that I had written down right here, just kind of we'll go through these real quickly. Number one, uh, according to Merriam-Webster, anxiety is an apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. I think it's a good, good definition. Again, there's different nuances and flavors in which that can kind of un- unfold or unpack, but that's a pretty good uh, baseline. Um, someone... Uh, have, they've, they've also described that anxiety and depression oftentimes go hand in hand. So those that find themselves in the midst of incredible anxiety oftentimes can interchangeably find themselves in a lot of depression and uh, vice versa. Someone had quoted, and uh, this came across this uh, statement on the internet, I'm not even sure who said it, but anxiety is this ever-present uninvited guest. Um, I like that because I, I like to think of it as almost like an uninvited uh, guest that is, is very abusive, Right very abusive and is constantly taunting and destroying and challenging us. And, um, and there's a lot of study and research that's been done on this. And there's some distinctions that oftentimes are being made between anxieties and fears. Fears are oftentimes uh, rooted in circumstances that are, that are real. And it's a, it's a guttural response to a particular circumstance. So for example, one book I had read that described it this way. If you're sitting in your house, you hear a knock on the door at two in the morning and immediately your body fills with adrenaline. That is a fear. It's a right fear. It's a fear rooted in something tangible that's actually happened. Now you got to respond to that. It's a fear. Anxiety is you're sitting on the couch at two in the morning. You hear nothing, but all of a sudden just a thought dawns on you. Maybe somebody's lurking outside and and all of a sudden that thought begins to play upon it and kind of compound and and it causes your anxiety levels to rise or your stress levels to rise um it's not necessarily rooted in anything actual but it nonetheless is creating a stress response in your body as well um that's oftentimes been defined or described as like an anxiety now multiply that by all sorts of other circumstances that are happening in our life you get the idea where we're going with this Next, um, I want to take a look at some stats. Um, based upon some of these stats, between 1990 and 2019, around um, uh, 6.2 people suffered from anxiety disorders. Now, again, obviously, this is all prior to COVID. And around COVID time from 2020 to 2021 or 2022, even somewhere around there, it's around 41% of Americans suffered with some degree of a, an anxiety disorder. Um, also, according to uh, some stats as well, uh, California apparently is the 14th most, most stressed state um, in, in, in America. Um, the least stressful state, by the way, just in case you're wondering and think about moving there, is Utah. For whatever reason, it's like the least stressed place on, you know, on the continental United States of America. So there you go. Um, and top stressors. They, they, they've been able to identify some of the major top stressors that are affecting uh, people like you and I. Things like finances. Um, how are we going to pay our bills? Do we have enough money? Can we afford this or afford that? Housing, especially here on the Central Coast, is definitely a real issue that we face here on the Central Coast. Is how can we afford to live here? How can we pay our rent, especially when it keeps climb, climbing? Uh, the job market, uh, relationships oftentimes is another major stressor with regard to either divorce or marriage or loneliness that oftentimes plays into that or relationships with family members. All of these things that, that add and contribute to the level of stress and anxiety that you and I, we find ourselves going through. Uh, some manifestations of anxiety, according to uh, some of these websites, is like panic attacks, social anxiety, nervousness, restlessness. 
increased heart rate, rapid breathing, sweating, trembling, weakness, fatigue, um, lack of focus, and concentration, and oftentimes just not being able to sleep, right? Losing sleep over and over again. Um, now, I think just based upon this list, all of us can probably at some point identify uh, these types of things. Um, Again, there's differing ranges of this. Some people go through these things on a periodic uh, basis. Sometimes people find themselves not being able to get out of this. It's kind of like a cul-de-sac. You just go around and around and around. You're in these cycles, and you don't know how to break it. And this because uh, where, where many people find themselves right now in California in this state of anxiety. And how do we deal with this? And this then kind of leads a little bit to various forms of, of treatments, how um, – People are trying to treat this because, again, this is a massive issue in our culture today. And so it has not gone without various forms of response to it, which, you know, a.k.a. treatment. Um, So the next slide, uh, some of the ways in which this has been identified or being treated is through therapy, um, sitting down with a a good therapist. Now, again, um, I I believe in this. I've gone through therapy myself. Uh, Two years ago, I found myself going through some just prior to COVID and through COVID, things were stressful and, you know, pastoring a church and trying to make sense of all this stuff that's happening in our world around us. Um, I, yeah, I found myself on a regular, consistent basis with very heightened levels of anxiety. And the elders of our, of our church were very, very kind enough to be able to allow me to be able to take a few uh, months off for a sabbatical, something I've mean, been pastoring here for almost 30 years. So it was, it, was a, it was a really kind, gracious gift to be able to just take some time away to just go pray and seek God and uh, meet with a therapist. And that was actually really helpful, this guy. And again, I want to be re- really careful here in terms of it defining not all therapists are alike. I want to be really clear here. Um, if, if this is a route that you go, and I'm not, this is not part of the message, but it's kind of me free, free balling right here. But uh, if, if, if this is a pathway you end up going down, I want you to begin to think about that. Number one, make sure that there's somebody that are deeply committed to the ways of Jesus. Not all ther- therapists are alike. And some might lead you down a path that has nothing to do with Jesus, just deeply secular, or in some cases, maybe even anti-God. Uh, the guy that I met with was, was a deeply... Uh, committed follower of Jesus, very wise in counsel, and just happened to be someone that was very, very helpful for me. So number one, therapy. Number two, support groups. Uh, a third one is medication. Uh, this is kind of an interesting thing. Again, there's lots of studies been done about this over the past five to ten years that the big pharma, some have described them as pharma cartels, um, have uh, been uh, even more so taking advantage of this massively growing population in America. They recognize, I'm mean, again, if you want to put it into another context, somebody somewhere in America is, is profiting exceptionally well off of our stress. That, that just is stressful alone in and of itself. But, but the fact of the matter is, this, this world we live in, unfortunately, it's the world that we live in. And not all of them work. We, we know this. We know this. Uh, some of them can actually just get you hooked to new variant forms of just uh, uh, meds that you now become dependent upon, and that can oftentimes have secondary effects uh, health-wise and relation-wise and whatnot. But again, this is not this message is not necessarily going to be focusing on any of that. If you have other questions, again, I'm not a professional. I'm happy to at least point you in the direction of processing some of these things. I'm just giving you a big-picture uh, perspective of some of these things. Um, but that being said, uh, another way of treating this is through lifestyle changes. This is kind of a big one. 
This could involve diet, you know, making sure that you are not eating foods that can oftentimes cause major problems, um, inflammatory type stuff. Uh, This also involves like exercise, working out, developing new routines and cadences within your life that oftentimes might disrupt the normal um, sedentary lifestyles that we oftentimes have where we're just uh, prone to these trigger moments where we just move into cycles of even more depression, more sadness, more stillness, where we just, uh, we, we reach for what's most convenient to us right there in that moment, which might be our cell phone. So we just doom scroll mindlessly through social media. Uh, we get hooked into pornography type stuff. And we, then that just compounds. It adds more filth and grime and uh, defilement to our soul. And then that just, now we're stuck in this like cycle of like, what can I do now? I'm just so anxious and depressed. And honestly, like, I, I think that's exactly where the enemy of our souls, which we'll get into this next week, where he talks about um, the devil and how he seeks, like, to, to, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But we'll get to that next week. But the point that I make is this, is that oftentimes the enemy gets us in these states where we are just in his grip and we find ourselves even contemplating. It's one of the reasons why suicide has gone off the charts over the past couple of years is because in this state of anxiety and depression comes the natural existential questions of like, why am I even alive? Why even be here? Does anybody even notice me? Am I even cared for? Why am I so alone? Why does this ache have to continue to perpetuate in my soul? And I can only medicate myself so many times over and over again before my soul just continues to just tank. And the enemy is just whispering, take your life. It's worthless anyhow. These are the words of the enemy who hates you, who hates everything that God loves. God loves you. So the beauty of what we're going to get to in thinking about what Peter has to say here. So all that being said, um, there's lifestyle changes. Uh, some of the ways and other secular ways of, of doing this is through like breathing exercises or mindfulness or meditation. These are all just variant forms over the past, especially the past 20 plus years that have become even more progressive in our culture around us. But that being said, uh, there's some deep historical Christian ways of dealing with anxiety that actually go all the way back to what we just read here, which by the way, this was a 2000 year old text. Again, a lot of the things that we're looking for in society that we desperately are aching for in terms of of, uh, treating some of the symptoms or challenges and hardships that we find ourselves dealing with, we don't need necessarily great innovations. Sometimes we just need to tether ourselves to the ancient historic truths that have been around for a really, really, really long time and have been proven through the lives of people that have been faithfully following Jesus for the past 2,000 years, on every continent, by the way, in every culture, through every ethnic tribe and tongue and language, people that have found God faithful, and in the midst of their own forms of stress and challenges and hardships and anxieties and depressions, again, every culture has them. We might have our unique own set of them, but every culture has them, that they found God to be faithful and true and good, just like Peter was exhorting them to do. So some other lifestyle changes that we can add to this, and I'll move on to the very next one, is like prayer, meditation on scripture. Again, if you find yourself in some of these states, um, maybe the idea of developing new uh, habits, like reading scripture daily, finding uh, a good Bible app to just listen to it. If uh, another app that was recommended to me a few years ago is called Lectio 360, it's just kind of a prayer app. And every single day, I listen to it in the morning and 
pretty much my wife and I, before we go to bed, we listen to it every night. They have a, has a night version as well. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, if you are not familiar with it, just search for it. It's awesome. If you don't, can't remember, just talk to me afterwards. I'm happy to point you in that direction. Fasting, seeking God, casting your anxieties upon God, which is what we'll look at. Um, now, I'm going to take a look at some real quick ways in which this word anxiety gets kind of played out in the Bible, because I think this is important, kind of tether us back into the bigger story where I want for us to go, and I'll wrap it up with some final thoughts. Um, so, for example, in the parable of what's called the parable of the soils, uh, this actually appears in three books in the New Testament. Jesus tells a story, he says this, with regard to the word cares or anxieties. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word in Greek, because I'll sound silly, but um, this is the word. He says, the seed which fell among thorns was choked out by the cares. That's the exact word that's here in First Peter, uh, by anxieties or cares, um, and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit is not mature. So what's interesting that we find out with regard to the idea of anxieties here is that in the context of also riches, you know, having a lot of money or longing for a lot of money, because some of us might not have a lot of money, but you long for a lot of money. You're constantly thinking about money. That has the same type of grip upon your soul as having a lot of money, right? Um, pleasures of life. Um, he says all of these things have this, like, grip, this this stranglehold upon your soul that the end result is the fruit does not mature. We never fully develop, never fully cultivate uh, a life of, of goodness and beauty uh, and truthfulness that God intends because we oftentimes find ourselves just being, like I said, uh, being uh, controlled by these anxieties. Luke chapter 21, verse 34, uh, Jesus actually gives this instruction. He says, watch so that your heart's uh, uh, so you know, I misspelled some words here. Uh, sorry, again, failure on my behalf, but I'll take ownership of it. Watch so that your hearts don't, doesn't get weighed down by self-indulgence, drunkenness, and anxieties of this life. And when that day comes, it will come upon you suddenly like a trap. And Jesus is referring to the time when... Uh, when the Son of Man comes, um, his, his hope, his anticipation would that we would have a, a heart that is anticipating, expecting his coming, um, that our hearts are alert and awakened and aware uh, to what God is up to in this world. But oftentimes what ends up happening, uh, you know, we live in a world where anxieties and stress and distractions take us. I mean, more so than any other time in our culture, in our human history. All forms of sociologists and psychologists have been studying this, that we live in a more distracted culture than ever. Every one of us are subject to this danger. And the danger is that we lose sight of the beauty and the goodness and the soon coming return of our king. It's really easy for that to happen. And what Jesus is saying, don't be careful that that doesn't happen. Next, and I'll wrap it up with two more little passages here. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 11, verse 28. Uh, Paul actually describes, um, he says, there is the daily pressure on me, my anxiety for the churches. The exact same word there, again, anxiety. So whatever, you know, Pastor Paul is going through, right? He's thinking about the stresses of the church and helping people. And Paul says that this is so stressful. Like, and I've, I've been in, you know, pastoral ministry for almost 30 years, and I, I can totally relate to this. Like, yes, there are times it can get stressful. People's lives can be stressful. The challenges and stresses that they carry, our, our job is to try to help people going through stressful circumstances in their life. And it can oftentimes cause you to get swept up in the midst of that and you forget the, the the beauty and the power and the goodness of jesus to carry and sustain and paul's saying that he has had these degrees of anxiety that swept under him as well um and lastly in luke chapter 20 uh what is that luke 22 verse 44 this is the the life of jesus you remember when jesus was in the garden of gethsemane 
It's that passage when it says that he was praying and great uh, drops of blood came out of his sweat. Um, what's interesting is that in this moment, great stress, great bodily emotion within his mind and his uh, experience caused like this degree of anxiety to swell up upon Jesus or stress to swell upon Jesus where literally uh, his capillaries began to break and sweat as if great drops of blood. And I looked this up and again, hematidrosis, I think is what it's called. Again, those of you that are doctors or people in the medical field, you're like, like, yay or nay, I don't know. I think I did I think I did pretty good, but I, I think I think I pronounced that properly. But anyways, this is actually according to Wikipedia again, just giving you my resources here, a very rare condition in which blood vessels rupture and exude blood in conditions uh, listen, of extreme physical and acute emotional stress. What do you think about this? Who's Jesus? What did Jesus go through? Well, apparently in the garden, extreme or acute emotional stress. Why? He was carrying your sin and mine all the way to the cross where he was going to do something on our behalf that we, we didn't deserve. Many of us weren't even awakened or aware of, of to the degree of his love for us. But this is what he was carrying all the way to the point of this so Stressful was it that his his body bore, literally bore the stress of what he was carrying. And we're we're told why in the New Testament over and over again. Because God so loved us that he, he bore this in his own physical nature in order to rescue us. So all that to be said is that Jesus understands. Jesus understands your stress. He gets it. He's a God that's, that's near. He's not far off. He's not so far removed that we can't even begin to imagine. Like, maybe God has no clue what's going on in my life. He does know what's going on in your life. He totally gets it. He's been there. So I want to move on to the very next thing. We'll wrap it up with some final thoughts. What are we to do with our anxieties? Just kind of gets moving into a little bit more of like, like practical. Like, what should we do with these things? Well, again, this is where Peter tells us. He says, cast your anxieties on him. Cast your anxieties on him. The word cast that's used here is actually, there's only one other time in the entire Bible that actually appears, and it's the story of Luke chapter 19, verses 35 to 36. And it's the story when they brought this donkey to Jesus, and then it says they threw their coats upon the donkey, which, which is about right, right? Isn't that kind of what pack mules were for? You just throw stuff on them. You just load stuff on them. Why? Because that's what a donkey does, right? It's a beast of burden, right? Carried this heavy stuff. And so what they were doing is just throwing their coats upon this beast of burden. The image that the New Testament writers were using in terms of language and vocabulary to define uh, the, the practices that Peter then employs the language-wise to, uh, to, to instruct us, say, hey, all of you that are facing challenges and hardships in the midst of a culture that's pushing back against you, that's in the midst of a political environment that's hostile towards you, in the midst of the temptations that you have to do something violent and repulsive and totally in opposition to the heart and mind and will of God, all of you, Paul, Peter would say, humble yourselves. Remember who you are. Remember who God is. Remember what God will do by remembering what God has done. Therefore, cast your anxieties on him. Then lastly, why are we to do this with our anxieties? 
Because really at the end of the day, he tells us, because he cares for us. He cares for us. Um, part of what it means to follow Jesus means to learn and discover. We use the word disciple. To learn and to understand who God is and what God is like. And as we do this, part of that process is fleshing out any false misinformation that we have about who God is. And then allowing space for new information to, to flood that place. That make sense? So for some of us, uh, we may have had false information about who God was as being an angry, very frustrated. At best, he tolerates you. That's as best that God is over you. He just tolerates. He just puts up with you. That is a false understanding of who God is. Thank God. That can be done away with. But something's got to fill its place. What should fill its place? What should fill its place is what Peter and all the other voices in the New Testament writers are constantly pointing to, is that it's a God that actually cares for you. He cares for you. He's stepped into our life and our world and our pain and our hardship, our challenges. He has demonstrated his love for us over and over and over again. Now, why is that good news for us? Why is that helpful for us? Number one, it helps us because it just reorients our lives around a different story than the story that we're, you know, kind of piecemealing together. You know, within this world in which we live in, it's kind of like bespoke religion. Like, I'll take a little bit of Jesus here and a little bit of, you know, existential philosophy over here and a little bit of, you know, Eastern mystical practices over here. And I'll just kind of create and forge my own little type of uh, Christianity or version of religion, spirituality. At the end of the day, that type of creative church or Christianity that we make will fail us. Functionally, it cannot, in the long run, help us. But what can help us is retethering ourselves to the ancient historic story that the New Testament writers are pointing to, which is a God that loves us, a God that gave himself for us. Now, why is this so important? I think two simple reasons I'm done. Number one is we are tempted to, as I mentioned earlier, to take these matters in our own hands. And when we do that, what ends up happening is not just like less of evil in a world, or less of evil in our life, or less of brokenness in our lives, but oftentimes there's compounded brokenness and evil and challenge. Um, I heard language to describe it this way, that when Adam and Eve sinned and failed, the, the, the curse came upon them. And what Jesus did is he came to undo that curse, that to pry the curse's fingers off of our world, off of our lives, off of our culture, off of our society. And yet oftentimes the, those fingers keep trying to curl back onto everything and just crush it and destroy it. And yet Jesus is always undoing what the curse does. And so when we find ourselves operating and acting in ways that are in opposition to God, we're adopting cursed methods, <laughs> literally methods that are under the curse, that are, that are tainted by, by mortar. Oh wait, not quite that, but you get the idea. I'm really locked into Lord of the Rings right now. So everything, everything in Middle Earth is tainted by Mordor until that ring is crushed and broken and destroyed. And I did get through, and I watched, by the way, the extended versions. So I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Return of the King was four plus hours long. I don't know what I was thinking, but I got through them all. Anyways, the point that I would make is this. God's aim is to break the curse and to crush it and to destroy it. And oftentimes even good intended followers of Jesus can use methods that are, that are under the curse of God. What Do we find ourselves pushing out the curse or destroying evil and brokenness and anxiety and depression in our lives? No, oftentimes we just create compounded forms of it. 
what breaks that? Well, apparently, according to Peter, what breaks that is humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God and casting our anxieties upon him because he alone cares for us. And then secondly, we're just informed in terms of motivation. We're loved by God. He loves us. How do we know that God loves us? I would say that prior to Jesus, our, our best understanding, if, you know, if you lived you know, 2,000 years ago, 2,300 years ago, let's say, and you're like, does God love you? And if you were not Jewish, you would have some serious questions. Like, I'm not really sure. I know he loves the Jewish people. Because he gave them land, and he gave them kings, and took care of them, and all that type of stuff. And they got promises, and they got these sacred scrolls and scriptures and whatnot. But we're not part of the whole Jewish you know, thing. But maybe if we got circumcised, maybe, maybe we'd be loved. And again, there's all sorts of misinformation even back then. But the point of the matter is, now that Jesus has come into the world, how do we know that we know that we know that God loves us? Is everything that Jesus does recrafts everything in our theology and understanding of who God is around Jesus. Jesus demonstrates who God is in his fullness. And he's a self-sacrificing God, giving himself at his expense for our benefit, for our help. So as we wrap this up, I want for us just to pause and consider and reflect upon what are those cares, those anxieties, those stressors that we oftentimes carry that God even right now is saying, cast was upon me. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like to be homeless. I know what it's like to have housing challenges. I know what it's like to not have a whole lot of money in your bank account. I know what it's like to have old clothes. I know what it's like to have to like make my way through culture and society and having people spread rumors. I know what it's like to oftentimes be in states and places where it's just lonely. I know. And over and over again, we see Jesus turning to the Father throughout his life, saying, Father, into your hands, I trust my life to you. And the whole hope of the gospel is that in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, God brings us into this family. Again, as I mentioned earlier, and says, as it was the fate of Jesus, so it is the fate of those who follow Jesus. Yes, there will be hardships. Yes, there will be challenges. Yes, there will be stressors. Yes, there will be anxieties. But there's not There, there is a path to deal with these things that lead to life and goodness. And that's what our invitation is right now. So I want to finish by inviting us all to stand. I want to pray over us, and then we will finish up. So let's all stand. And if you want, why don't you just close your eyes. I'd love to just kind of pray over you. And then, by the way, at the very end, we will create some space. If you have any further need of just personal prayer, needing to have someone just listen to your story or pray over you, um, I will be available. We'll also have some people. In fact, maybe they can make their way up to the very front right now, and they'll be available to pray with you immediately once we're done here. But in this practice right now, I want you just to just close your eyes and just maybe in this moment right now, just ask God to show you some of those areas. For some of you, it's like it's, it's pretty obvious. It's like the big E on the eye chart of your life right now. Like it's there, it's staring at you. You don't even need to stare at it. It's staring at you. And right now, I just want you to maybe in your own heart before God, just confess it to God. Say, God, this is this is it. Whatever that blank is, God, I just confess this worry, this anxiety, this cause for depression, this circumstance to you. And I ask you, Father, right now, that you would show me. Your goodness. God, I pray for my friends and family and 
people in this community right now. And I just ask, God, that you would just show us your faithfulness in ways like we've never known before. Your kindness, your goodness, your love. And God, I pray that you would give us strength to be able to cast these anxieties before you and walk away with a greater confidence that you are for us. And God, that would craft us and shape us to become people that live like you in this world. So we pray and ask all these things even right now in Jesus' name. Amen.